many valleys and so many trying times and so many dark situations. You may be going through a dark situation right now, but keep in mind that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to lead us through it. Whatever he brings us to, he's going to give us the power and the strength and the stamina and the and the wherewithal to endure whatever the world, whatever Satan, whatever old Lucifer, Slewfoot, whatever you want to call him, whatever he wants to throw your way, you have a God that will never leave you or never forsake you. You know what really burns me is when I see the church, when I'm talking about the church world today, that's walking around like they've lost their very best friend, they walk around like they have no hope in this world. They walk around and act like that, that, that there's absolutely nothing to the very gospel that we preach. Why in the world would the world want what we have to preach? You know, back, back in um, elementary school, I remember we used to sing a song. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You know something? We have so much to be happy for. Yes, sorrow endures for the night, but the Word of God says that joy comes in the morning. So you won't always be in darkness if you find yourself going through a dark time in your life. Joy truly comes in the morning. I'm glad you're here tonight. And, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Steve and Michelle, they had to go uh, to some several funerals today, and they had to, a couple they had to go to yesterday, so they couldn't be here tonight. But uh, let's, let's be in prayer for them and those families that they go out and, and uh, witness to and touch and just comfort them and love on them uh, because they truly are an extension of this church. You help to send them here and there to do the Lord's work, whether it's here in this pulpit or it's out in a funeral or if it's... Uh, at a hospital or wherever they're needed. And so we're thankful for you. We're thankful for them. Most of all, we're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing us to come together. He, you believe in providence. I do. I believe everybody that's here tonight was supposed to be here tonight. I believe God appointed you to be here tonight. He appointed me to be here tonight for the very sermon that we're going to bring tonight with the Lord's help. So we're delighted you're here. Welcome. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. For your many blessings, we thank you for mercy and grace, your love and kindness that, in, that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we thank you for, your, for the blessed hope that we find in your word. Lord, we th we're thankful that we can be light, a reflection of you in a dark and dying world, in a world that wants no part of you, but Lord, we know they wanted no part of you in the days that you walked upon this earth. So 2,000 years later, it should come as no surprise that they still want no part of you. And the evil spirit is still among us. Oh, but Lord, your church is alive and well. Your church is looking for your return. So, Lord, we just praise you tonight. Lord, give us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to have a clear mind and a clear heart. Lord, help us to understand and help us tonight, Lord, to, to articulate exactly what you want spoken in, in, the, in the way that you want it spoken, Lord. And uh, uh, just... Lord, we just pray that you'll touch each and every one that's here tonight, Lord. And those that are listening by way of Facebook, God, we pray that you'll touch them in their home. Lord, give them a hunger and a, a desire for your word. If they don't have a home church, we pray they'll find one. We pray, Lord, they'll find a church that will preach them the word of God and, uh, and just delight their soul, Lord, with your Holy Spirit in their lives, Jesus. 
Lord, we just praise you for this day. Lord, it's a glorious day that you've made. And Lord, we thank you for our church here tonight as we're gathered here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to honor you, Jesus. Lord, for it's in your name we ask and pray for your leadership. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The gospel, the glorious gospel according to John is considered by many as one of the most in the, the most spiritual and the deepest uh, spiritual book in all of the Bible. We've been going through the book of John. For those of you that maybe this is your first time here, we're, we're going through verse by verse by verse through the book of John. It's a very wonderful book. It, um, in it, our Lord gives us a more complete uh, revelation of himself, of who he is. He is, in fact, the Son of God, by the way. He reveals himself as the Son of God, and John is, is giving testimony to this very fact. And the key word to the book of John is believe. Listen to this. The key word to the book of John is believe. The manifestation of Christ's divinity is found in the pages of this spiritual holy book. The key verse in the book of John is, what was it I said? John 20 and 31. This is the key verse. Now, the other was the key word, which was believe. Now, this is the key verse, John uh, 20 and 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is for you in 2020. This is for you if you're listening over the Internet. This book, this very book was written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the very one that he claims to be. And John is giving testimony here to this very fact. At the end of chapter 6, Jesus said to his followers, but there are some of you who do not believe. These were his followers. And he says to them, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the very beginning who it was who would obey him. He knew uh, who it was from the very beginning who it was who truly would believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him ultimately. Last Sunday evening, John gave us a sneak peek into the, into the relationship that Jesus had with his half-brothers. It was near the time for the Jewish festival of tabernacles, if you recall. Some people call it the, the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents. But we're going to uh, uh, stay with the Scriptures here. It's, a, it's, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And the celebration was a, commem uh, a uh, commemoration of what their forefathers had been through. They were brought out of Egypt. They walked into the wilderness for 40 years. And while they were out there in the wilderness wandering around for 40 years, they were putting up tents and they were living as people who didn't have a place to call home. They were on their way to a land that was promised to them. But they wandered out in the wilderness for 40 years. Wondered, living in tents. You see, when you live in this tent, you don't, you're not going to be here very long. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. But they 
wandered out in that wilderness for 40 years before finally making their way to Canaan. As always, Judea in the city of, uh, is in the city of Jerusalem. It was a place to be uh, uh, for, where the celebration would take place, this, this feast of the tabernacles. It took place uh, once a year here in this glorious city of David, Jerusalem. So after many miracles and much personal one-on-one teaching, Jesus' brothers still did not believe. His own half-brothers still did not believe. Wait a minute. They saw the miracles. They saw his life. He lived a perfect life. They should have saw that he was different, but they still didn't believe. Nevertheless, Jesus' half-brothers, they urged him to go to the feast to prove who he was. They wanted him to go down into Jerusalem to gain attention, to gain publicity, to gain public recognition. But Jesus knew of his own brother's ill motives. He knew what their intentions was. He knew their ill motives and did not receive their advice but stayed in Galilee until the time was right for him to go down into into Jerusalem. For Jesus knew what the Jewish leaders wanted to do. They wanted to kill him. Go down there and you'll die. So as the obedient son of God, as a devout Jew, Jesus, Jesus desired to attend the feast. And he would do so privately. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a lot of murmuring going on. They were, there was a lot of whispering going on. They wanted to know, know where is Jesus? Have you seen him? Oh, I haven't seen him. Have you seen him? Oh, I haven't seen him. He ought to be here by now. Well, about midways of this celebration, Jesus does come on the scene. But the, the, the murmuring was going on behind the scene. They wanted to know where he was. And some said that Jesus was good. Some thought he was good. Some thought that, uh, that he claimed that, that he had led, or some people thought that he led people astray. Some thought he was good. Some thought that he led people astray. And for fear of the leaders of, of the Jews, no one there spoke Jesus' name. See, the animosity was real. The hatred towards this Lord Jesus Christ was real. And all he had done was good. That's all he had done for anybody to see was good. The location is in Jerusalem, the city of David. The city is filled with people. People everywhere. The place is bustling with people from all over the land who came to celebrate. The festivities were underway Up until this point, Jesus was only there in secret. He was only there in um, incognito. No one, no one knew of his whereabouts. So the story picks up here in John 7, 14. Stand with me and we'll read our scripture right quick and then we'll get on into the message. John 7, 14 says, But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? 
So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but, he, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it, it is of God or I speak from myself. He says this, verse 18, For he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses was given you, has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me? Because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You can be seated now if you like. Thank you. The Lord remained in seclusion until the appointed time. You know, God's got a clock. God's got a time. There's an appointed man. There's an appointed time for man to die. We can all agree on that. The Bible says that's a very familiar scripture. God knows the when, where, and the how, and the, and the how come. He knows it all. But the Lord remained in seclusion, the Lord Jesus Christ, until the time was appointed for him to go down into Jerusalem. There in the midst of the Feast of the Tabernacles would have been the fourth of the fifth day of, uh, of the eight-day celebration. We are on verse 14, right? Here we go. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and he began to teach. You know, Jesus was a teacher, you know. He was always about teaching. He was always about training. He wanted people to know the truth. The truth. The world doesn't want you to know the truth. The world wants you to, wants to just stamp out the preacher. They want to stamp out the teacher. They want to stamp out the Christian. And they want to replace it with a philosopher. They want to replace it with a college degree. They want to replace it with someone of higher education. Where in the world did this man named Jesus acquire all of this knowledge, all of this wisdom? What they wanted to know. So after it was about Half over, Jesus went into the outside of the temple, known as the porch, where the people uh, were allowed to gather, and he began to teach. Now, again, the hostility was becoming more and more increased toward Jesus. The increasing hostility toward Jesus didn't prevent his ministry. It didn't stop him. From preaching the truth. In the midst of the hostility, he continued on. He knew what lies ahead for him. He knew the destiny that he was going to. Church, we need to know our destiny. We need to know where we're going to. We need to know that when hostility comes up, that we march on like brave soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. But the hostility was mounting upon Jesus, and he continued being about the Father's business. Jesus relentlessly set forth his claims regarding his identity and his mission. 
Jesus was on a mission. So in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jews from all over Israel, they'd come from all over, and they had migrated into Jerusalem, Jesus once again begins to teach them. At this time of the feast, the temple area would have been bustling with people, people everywhere. He was not ashamed. He was not shy about what his mission was, but he was about the Father's business. But those who think that, that Christ was received in an honorable way are mistaken. If we think that because we're sweet, nice, generous little Christians that we ought to be received honorably, we're badly mistaken. As a matter of fact, if we're, if we're ridiculed, if we're persecuted, then you're in good company. That God's church is going to be persecuted. We're going to be faced with, with difficult times. We face some now. But friend, I believe this is only the beginning of what is to come. I believe the world is going to become so wicked that eventually the church is going to be called out and then the trumpets are going to begin to sound. There's going to be fire, fall, like this world has never seen. The world's going to be shaken. It's going to be shaken ultimately so hard that the, that the mountains are going to be made low. The islands are going to be moved out of their places. We ain't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you. We need to be right with God. He's powerful, but He's merciful for the moment. But he's a righteous judge, and he's going to judge righteously. Verse 15 says, The Jews then, they were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Those who heard the Savior, they were astonished. You see, they had never heard a man speak like this. They had never heard a, they had never heard a man speak in the, with, under the same anointing, under the same authority that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke in these perilous times that they were in those days. Idolatry, all kinds of, of wickedness in the city of Jerusalem going on. They marveled that his message was powerful and his knowledge of the Old Testament must have impressed them greatly. They must have been completely bewildered by the education of this man who had never received proper education, but also the breadth, the, the breadth of, of his learning and his ability to teach attracted their attention. Oh, if I could only teach that much to what he could teach. Never was a man, has a man spoken the way Jesus spoke. They couldn't believe their ears. They knew that Jesus had never been to any great religious schools. He had never been to any seminaries. He had never been a college graduate. They couldn't understand. Look at this. How has this man become learned? You see, they recognized he was a little more brighter than they were. How has this man become learned, having never been educated? That is, that is where has he learned literature? Where, where has he learned uh, the, the methods of teaching? To the Jews, Jesus was the lowly Nazarene. To the Jews, he was, he was a common man with no education. 
Yet he taught them as one who had I pose to you they have no idea of the authority that he has. He had all authority. All authority. He spoke as, a, as one that had authority, but I'm telling you what, he had all authority. All the angels of heaven could, would have come to him at any moment had he called upon them. Yes, he had all authority. And you know what? Today, he still has all authority. In the midst of the craziness of the world, don't you, don't you think for a moment that things are out of control? They're in absolute, God's absolute control. Don't worry. Be not weary. Fear not. All of those are parts of Scripture over and over. The Lord encourages us not to be afraid. Take no thought of tomorrow. Over and over, cast your burdens upon me. The world still expresses amazement. And often, they often complain when it finds believers with no formal religious training. They find them still able to preach, still able to teach, the Word of God, and they never spent one day in a seminary. I'm thankful the Lord uses foolish people to preach the gospel. To confound the wise, by the way. He can confound the wise with the foolish. Did you know that? Luke records the people's reaction to Jesus entering the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read the book of the prophet Isaiah. You know the story. As he closed the book, all eyes were focused upon him. And Luke 4 and 22 says, All were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? May I say that who God calls, he equips. Who God calls into his ministry, he equips them to, to do his will. Consider Peter and John, who left some people astonished by their teachings in Acts 4 and 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they too were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That's where they learned it. They went with him. Remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? She said, he told me things, all things that I ever did. He already knew about it. He knew of the authority. The man at the, at the well, or, or, or the man at the, at, the, uh, at the pool of Bethesda, you recall him. He didn't know Jesus, but when Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, what did he do? Took up his bed and walked because Jesus spoke words that were absolutely convincing. He spoke words that were absolutely authoritative. And, of course, he had the power to heal the man. 
Consider who God chooses to do His work. Not, not the high and the mighty. He don't choose those who are, who are really, really smart. But He often chooses the meek and the lowly. Listen to Amos' reply to Amaziah, who wanted Amos to stop prophesying in Bethel. Wanted him to go away, go prophesy somewhere else. Like the land of Judah. You can go to Judah and prophesy, just, just, just not here. For he said that Bethel, he said that Bethel is a sanctuary of King Jeroboam. In other words, this is King Jeroboam's domain. This is his royal house. This is his, his place to be recognized. You don't need to be preaching here. You don't need to be prophesying here. But look at what Amos says in 7.14. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. That's powerful, church. That's powerful. Amos says, I'm nobody. Amos is saying, I come from, from, from the fields. I was a herdsman. I planted sycamore trees. I worked with my hands, not with my mind, not with my mouth. But the Lord used him in a mighty way. Yes. Time and time again, when God sends someone to do the work for him, he also equips them to complete his work. If you feel small, come up and stand next to me, because that's, that's the way I feel every day. Small, meek, and lowly. And that's where I want to be. This is no less true of the beloved son. The Father equipped him. Verse 16 says, So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. Christ is here speaking, not from the standpoint of his essential glory, not as a member of the Godhead, but as the incarnate Son of the living God, as the servant of Jehovah. Once again, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see how the Lord takes no credit for himself. But he gives it all to God the Father. He simply tried to glorify the Father. Church, this is you and I today. That, that should be our focus. It's glorifying the Father. It's all about the Father. Jesus would tell you that. It's all about the Father. To, to correct the Jews, Jesus answered, look at this. He simply answered this teaching. This teaching is not mine, but it came from one who sent me. How zealous he was for the Father's honor. How zealous he was. While guarding the Father's glory, the Lord Jesus was meek and lowly in heart. 
whatever the Lord Jesus spoke and whatever he taught were the things which his father told him to speak and to teach. He did not act independently of his father. He wanted to be lock in step with his father. Jesus was the perfect example for you and I today. Verse 17 says, if anyone is willing to do his will, this is Jesus talking, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. The Jews had challenged the ability of Jesus to teach. Jesus, Jesus here challenges the, the ability of the Jews to hear. You want to challenge my ability to teach? I challenge your ability to hear, is what he's saying to the Jews. If the Jews really wanted to know whether his message was true or not, it would be easy for them to find out. Jesus, Jesus promised that the person who wholeheartedly, honestly seeks the truth, revealed, revealed by God, the one who is willing to do God's will, that he will know the truth about Christ's teaching. Whether it, is, whether it is of God or whether it is not. There's a wonderful promise here for everyone earnestly seeking the truth. If a person is sincere and truly wants to know what is the truth, God will reveal it. Did you know that? He will. If you seek him with all your heart, what does he say? You'll find me. You'll find me. You'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. The promise that God gave to Israel is extended to those who will believe in Deuteronomy 4, 29. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God. Look at this. And you will find him if you seek him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Oh, if I could just get in his presence. Oh, if I could just get this worked out, I would, I would really believe. If he would just answer my prayer, I would really believe. You will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's it. You come to Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. I fear today we have many false professions. We have many light-hearted professions. We have many that we have many that profess, but very few that possess. Verse 18, Jesus says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. You see, anyone who speaks from his from, from himself, that is, according to his own will. He seeks his own glory. He seeks his own glory. You know, most people in life are seeking their own glory. They're seeking their own, their own reward. They're seeking their own recognition. That wasn't what Jesus was about at all. This was the case with every false teacher. This was the case with every false Messiah. You know, there were, there were, there were those who falsely claimed to be messiahs in, in those days. They would claim self-authority. 
not God's. And they would seek to glorify themselves rather than God. But it was not so that the Lord Jesus, with the Lord Jesus, he sought the glory of the Father who sent him. He wanted to honor God. Church, that ought to be our ambition in all of life, is to honor God no matter what. You hear me? No matter what, honor God. If it gets hard, if it gets rough, if it gets scary, if it gets unnerving, if it gets uncertain, honor God. What Jesus did, all the way to the cross, he honored God. When they spit in his face, when they lashed him across the back, when they nailed him to the cross and pierced his side, he honored the Father. Because his motives were absolutely pure, his message was absolutely true. No unrighteousness was found in this man named Jesus. Jesus was the one and only. He was the only one of whom such words could be spoken. No man had ever come along, nor has there been a man since. That was perfect the way that he was. Every other teacher has had some selfishness mixed in his service to God. It should be the ambition of every servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to glorify God rather than himself. I think I've made my point clear. I'll move on. Verse 19 said, Did, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So Jesus was fully aware what he was walking into when he went to that feast down there in the city of David in Jerusalem. He knew that they were, they were venomous snakes. He knew there was hatred towards him. He knew they wanted nothing more than to see him dead. The Lord made a direct accusation against the Jews by asking them, did not Moses give you the law? Did Moses give you the law? He here reminded them that Moses gave them the law. You, know, you knew what the law was. They glorified in the fact that they possessed the law. You see, that was all about the law. They forgot that there was no virtue in merely possessing the law. They forgot that. The, the law demanded obedience. And it really demanded obedience. You don't want to be under the law, right? You can't stand it. The law demands obedience to its precepts and to its commandments. Although they glorified the law, evidently, evidently none of them kept it. For he says right here, he said, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? So Jesus asked them point blank, Why do you seek to kill me? By plotting to kill the Lord Jesus Christ, they were breaking the law. Why? Because the Lord, because the law forbids murder. They were ignoring that one simple fact. John 7:20 says, the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? The crowd felt the 
They felt the sharp edge of Jesus' accusation. But rather than admitting that he was right, they began to abuse him. Right? Uh, rather than examining themselves as blasphemers, with blasphemy they accused Jesus of having a demon. You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? In other words, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. You're insane. They resented his statement that any of them was seeking to kill him. It seemed outrageous to, to many, although I believe there was, there was a few in the crowd there that knew full well, yes, given the opportunity, we will. So, so here in, at, at this time, they deny their, their hostile intentions, but Jesus' accusations that they failed to keep the law, it really burnt them up. It increased their anger greatly. So verse 21 says, Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. Now, Jesus didn't bother to respond to their accusation of him being a demon. He didn't bother to, to respond to that. Instead, Jesus went back to the healing of the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda, and this miracle alone offered sufficient proof that he was who he claimed to be. He was the Son of God. He had the power to heal. He had the power to do various things. But it was this miracle at the pool of Bethesda that, that stirred the hatred of the Jewish leaders against Christ. Instead of responding to the healing of the sick man with belief, it was at this point that the Jewish authorities, they began to... Uh, to be vicious towards him, and they plotted to kill him. And the Lord reminded them, and look at this, that, that he says, I did one deed, and you all marveled. He reminds them that he did one deed, and they all marveled at it, not that they had marveled at it with admiration, but rather they marveled at it because they were shocked that he, that he should do such a thing on the Sabbath. How dare he heal this man on the Sabbath? By themselves, having eyewitnesses to some of the signs that Jesus worked. It only compounded their guilt when they refused. They refused. They refused to believe. Verse 22 reads, for this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise the man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Woo! See verse 22 here. The law of Moses, it commanded that a male child should be circumcised eight days after its birth. Actually, circumcision had, no, had not originated with Moses, but it had been a practice by the fathers, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc., etc. Even if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, the Jews didn't consider it wrong to, cir uh, to circumcise a baby boy on the Sabbath. That was okay, they thought. They felt that it was a work of necessity and that the Lord allowed for such a work. 
But verse 23 says, If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man? I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? So the question is, if, if, they, if they circumcise a child on the Sabbath in order to obey the law of Moses regarding circumcision, why would they find fault with the Lord Jesus Christ for making, making a man completely well on the Sabbath? If the law allowed for a work of necessity, would it not also allow for a work of mercy. Yes. Circumcision is a minor surgical operation. It's performed on, on uh, little boys. Needless to say, it causes pain, and, and its, physica, uh, its physical benefits are, are only minor. But I want you to notice the contrast here. In contrast, the Lord Jesus made a man completely well on the Sabbath. They injured this little boy on the Sabbath. But Jesus Christ made a grown man who had, been, who had been an invalid for 38 years, made him completely well, and said, take up your bed and walk. Woo! That's good. That's good. That's good word. Sweet. Sweet is the victory, isn't it? But the Jews, nevertheless, they found fault with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm about to wrap up here. This is my last verse. He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, what does he mean here? Well, the trouble with the Jews was that they judged things according to outward appearance and not according to the inward reality. They would judge you based on your outward appearance rather than who you really were on the inside. You see, their judgment was not righteous. It was far from righteous. Works which seemed perfectly legitimate when performed by themselves seemed absolutely wrong when performed by the Lord. Human nature always tends to judge according to sight rather than according to reality. The Lord Jesus has not broken the law of Moses. It was, it was, it was they who were breaking it by the relentless hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. He created the Sabbath. He could do what He wanted to with it. If they did not object to the ceremonial cleansing of one part of the body on the Sabbath, how, how in the world could they object to His healing the entire body on the Sabbath? In this way, the Lord Jesus Christ not only exposed their rank hypocrisy, these were hypocrites, but he also demonstrated that it was permissible to do good on the Sabbath. Stand with me, if you will. Still the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for getting to know you better through your word. You revealed the things that you want us to know, things that we need to live out and apply to our lives. God, we thank you for your power and your spirit, for your anointing. 
We thank you, Lord, for the strength that you give us each and every day when we wake up, when we rise each morning to go about our day. Lord, tomorrow as we get up, please remind us that it's a day that you have made and the heart beating in our chest, you give it permission to do so. The blood flowing through our veins, you've made it possible for that to occur. Lord, it's by grace and grace alone that we're saved. It's by grace and grace alone that we live another moment. Lord, there's many people in the church that are sick. There are many who are afflicted. There's a lot of death around this area, which leaves behind a lot of families that are hurting, a lot of families whose lives may seem void and troubled and without hope. Lord, we pray that you wrap your arms around each and every one of these families. And God, may you be glorified, comfort them and give them strength to endure the impossible, to endure what they thought they could never endure. And Lord, if they don't have another church to go to, we pray you'll send them this way. They can come in and labor in your field. They can come in and be a part and help us to hold high the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, be with us as we go our separate ways tonight. Lord, we praise you for the work that you're doing. And God, we trust you with everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, come back and be with us next Sunday if the Lord allows you to. And uh, remember, we, our service starts at 9.30 on Sunday, or, or 10.30. I need to be the one remembering. 10.30 on Sunday morning and 5 o'clock Sunday night. If you're listening by way of Facebook. Come 